Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're clearing the docket this week in chambers. Hi, Judge Hodgman. How are you? Raquel Heiner. Heiner. Raquel Heiner, thank you very much for supporting the Judge John Hodgman podcast that I'm making right now. Wait. You can see Jesse through the microphone. What are you doing, Judge Hodgman? What's going on? It's Jesse. Sorry, I'm, th- I'm thinking uh, Rachel Henner, who is one of the leadership squad uh, upgraders uh, during the Max Fund Drive. You know, uh, we had such great response to the Max Fund Drive, and especially my many thanks to those who um, upgraded or joined at the leadership squad level or above. And I'm still thanking them by mispronouncing their names on the Internet. I just mispronounced mispronounce. Um, <laughs> and uh, they were so generous. And I'm, I'm just I'm a little behind. So I'm just trying to fit it in when I can. Even on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think probably on the air is the best time to do that, right? I think I think it probably is. I only have about 15 more to go, so stand by, Jesse. Oh, no, no. We have to clear the docket, Judge Hodgman. Okay, all right, all right, fine, we'll do. Put it, this is the podcast choose, that we make? Choose your filter and post the video, and let's do this. All right, I am ready to go to make the podcast. Good podcast to you, Jesse. How are you? Hang on, hang on, Jesse. I'm. Uh, I know you want to get going on our podcast, but it's just I'm just getting a word here, and you can tell because I'm touching my ear like it's a newscast. Sure, like you're in the Secret Service. That Rachel has changed her last name to Rosing. Oh, so, that's that's Rach Tacular. That's well. In fact, now my mispronunciation is is doubly mispronounced because I just said the wrong name. Well, uh, I think that's for the best. Okay, here's our first case. It's from Martine uh, or Martin. Who knows? I have a dispute with my partner, Andrew. What's the appropriate way to fill an ice cube tray? I fill the tray with water and then gently pour off the excess so that each cube is within one half and and three quarters full. One half. Andrew prefers to just fill the F out of the entire tray, (laughs) paying no heed to whether or not any of the cube wells are overfilled. Andrew prefers big cubes, but his overfilling leads to cubes that are connected by a solid sheet of ice. My method avoids this issue, but results in smaller cubes. Since I've broached this, Andrew has simply stopped filling the ice tray, I assume in protest. Judge Hodgman, please order him to continue to fill the tray, but to my specifications. First of all, Martine, Maritime, or whatever your name is. Um, I appreciate your coming close to, but not actually swearing about ice on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I really, it's like, I I appreciate that you realize that this is a family friendly podcast and yet you feel so passionately about ice cubes that you had to, you were like, I'm going to push the envelope on this one. I have to. I was impressed that she did. She didn't even swear about she or he uh, didn't even swear about ice, swore about ice to be. Yeah. Well, it did paint a word picture of how Andrew fills the F out of this ice cube tray. Yeah. Because I really see it now, just him just hitting the water full on. Yeah. And just smashing it under there and just waiting till it is totally full. By the way, if you fill up the ice cube, if you have a standard ice cube tray, you've learned by now that you can't fill up the ice cube tray with the water at full blast because it'll just hit one of those cube wells and then just splash right back out of it at full speed into your eyes you have to do it at at low speed and then you have to fill up that ice cube tray to the top of the ice cube tray 
and then pour off a little so that you don't get the sheet of ice. But in no way, Martine, do you want to have three quarters or Cthulhu forbid, one half full cube tray cubes? That's, you know, when you are using a standard commercial ice cube tray to begin with, those cubes are smaller than they than is acceptable to to start. And you certainly don't want to make them even smaller unless you're going to make a mint julep, which uses traditionally crushed ice or tiny little jewels of ice that you fill in a one-third full ice cube tray. Don't do that. Big cubes. Why big cubes, Jesse? Why do big cubes always trump small cubes? Physics? Yeah, they melt slower. They melt slower. They water down. Your your beverage of choice less quickly. Took me a little while to figure out the syntax on that one. <laughs> and there are certain drinks like the mint julep that call for crushed ice, where you want it to get all 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 like watery and slushy. And obviously, frozen drinks required crushed ice. If your goal is to cool your drink for the longest period of time possible and maintain its integrity, particularly if you're making cocktails or serving something on the rocks. They don't call they don't call it on the pebbles. They call it on the rocks because those the bigger the cube, the longer it keeps your drink cold without watering it down. Now, is Andrew reckless? Sure. Yeah, it's clear. I mean, he's filling the f out of that tray. Yeah, and when you get that sheet of ice at the top, when you fill it up too much, then when you twist the cube tray, and we're talking about a traditional cube tray, a plastic cube tray, not a not an old timey ice shucker, which uh, which I used to swear by, which is an aluminum thing with a lever. But when you twist that cube tray to get those cubes out, oh, that whole ice shelf at the top, if you overfill it, shatters, and then you basically lose the benefit of the larger cubes because you are probably going to be adding in a bunch of uh, a bunch of shards of ice from the ice sheet, which will melt immediately. And also, it's just wasteful of water, which is a precious resource. So I, you can tell that I, I believe, and as, as someone who used to write about food and non-wine alcohol for a, a men's magazine, I care a lot about ice. It's an it's a, it's a, an incredibly important ingredient in beverages of all kinds, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, because it really will affect the flavor. And here's the other thing. Those ice cube trays that you're using, if they are the standard, are uh, not good. Because, as I already said, they're too small to begin with. And second of all, they're open at the top. Now, if you go through a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of ice, it's not a big deal. But ice will take on off flavors the longer that it sits in the freezer. So you want to get ice cube trays that have uh, bigger compartments for larger chunks of ice and you also want to get them with covers on them or you want to cycle them through very quickly every day uh i recommend but you have a taste of your own martin you like watered down drinks that don't taste good so i have no problem with you making the ice to your taste but i would say andrew has a taste of his own one that i tend to share and i would recommend if he likes bigger cubes there are all kinds of big cube makers you can get, including big spherical ice cubes that you can get. 
And that's one where you have, uh, it's, a, it's a special tray where you can make two globes of ice that are quite large and they go very well into a rocks glass and they're wonderful if you're having uh, something in a rocks glass, like a, a whiskey if you're of age. And you can only fill those if you are filling the F out of them because you totally have to overfill them and then shove the tops of the spheres down to make the perfect thing. So it suits him perfectly because it'll get his his ice Jones out and also um, it'll make the nice big ice cubes and also they're covered so you can keep them in the freezer for a long time then get them out and they won't taste terrible. That's my ruling. I have a question for you, Judge Hodgman. Yeah. I will admit, my wife has a large cube silicon ice tray uh, that mm-hmm. she got for Christmas from someone who loves her very much and lives in her house and is me uh, that she uses for her uh, uh, bourbon. She likes to drink bourbon at night. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's great. It's it's an amazing machine. Um, I don't drink a cocktail, so I don't need a special giant ice cube. Sure. But uh, my ice preference is completely on the other side of the ice spectrum. Um, I'm an ice chewer. Oh. And to my mind, the single greatest culinary luxury that exists is not truffles or saffron. Uh, It is pebble ice. Pebble ice like you would get at a movie theater in your soda fountain? If it was a really amazing movie theater. Yeah. So what is what is pebble ice? Pebble ice, I mean there's a specific machine that makes it. It's a uh, mm-hmm. I associate it personally with a particular restaurant called Pie and Burger in Pasadena, California. All right. Wonderful restaurant. But um I love I love the, both of those things. But it is a it is a type of ice that can only be made by a huge industrial machine. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. there are now home pebble ice machines but they are still pretty large and cost a couple thousand dollars, I think. Um, and it is, uh, it is, uh, it's small and generally round, pebble-ish. Um, it's also less dense, uh, but mm-hmm. uniformly less dense. So mm-hmm, it can be mm-hmm. crunched easily and comfortably, uh, and is, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the perfect crushed ice. Well, I think that that, you, you have made a, a profound and necessary case for a different kind of ice that you are absolutely right suits uh, different drinks and different people differently. So again, I have to rule on Andrew's side here, which is he's making ice to his taste and Martine's making ice to her taste. Uh, and there are many different tastes of ice. And I think that that's important. You know, when I was growing up, I lived next door to um, my good friend, Peter Rosenmeier, uh, whose father was a, was a Danish by birth and brought with him into the house many European uh, traditions or that I ascribed to being European just because they were very strange. One of them I know was the European tradition that he carried with him from his family in Denmark, the um, candlesticks that have a balance on the bottom so that, or I should, yeah, candlesticks that had a balance on the bottom so that you could put them on the bough of a Christmas tree and light the tree with real candles, which is an amazing thing to see uh, in real life, to see an actual tree inside a house lit with real candles that are balancing because it has a counterweight at the bottom of the of the candlestick. It's just an amazing thing to see um, uh, 
possible death so near you. <laughs> it really, really gave Christmas a, a, a interesting cast to it. And then they also had a thing, and maybe this wasn't a European thing, but it was, I, uh, maybe it's just old fashioned or whatever, but they had an ice tray that had no, um, what would you call them? They had no cube forms in them. Do you know what I mean? It was just a tray. That you would fill up uh, the size of an ice tray. You would fill it up with water, freeze it. You bring it out. It's this big, long tray full of ice. And then they had a, a, t- a kitchen implement, which was a heavy weight on the end of a flexible uh, uh, piece of metal. So you could just whack it. And you would whack that ice with that heavy metal. And it was an incredibly satisfying thing to do. And just smash up the ice in the tray into a variety of sizes because it was irregular every time so you would get some big chunks of ice and then you would get little uh slivers and pebbles of ice as well it's not the job of this podcast to find compromises but that might be a compromise because suits has ice in it for every member of the family that's amazing it's an amazing thing and you know what i saw i saw one of those implements it's like a a long flexible piece of metal with a big heavy um sort of semi-sphere at the end and you, you literally like do a whipping motion. And I saw one in an antique store in Vermont, and it was way overpriced, and I didn't get it, and I regret it. Uh, your neighbor's dad, who was from Denmark? Yes. Did he look like a handsome sea captain, like every single person I saw the entire time I was in Denmark? He really did. Jesper Rosenmeyer, Peter's dad, passed away a couple of years ago, or a year ago. Very sad, but um, I loved him. All the Rosenmeyers are loved by me. Here's something from Stephen. My wife and I agree that we want to name our as-yet-unborn son Elliot. He's due this month. We both love the name, but we can't agree on how best to spell it. I prefer the spelling of Elliot with two Ts, in the same style as my favorite musician, Elliot Smith. Our last name is Scott, so our son's first and last names would both end with two Ts. I listened to Elliot Smith quite a bit in our first year of marriage and appreciate his lyricism. His music boosts me up, though I realize it does the opposite for many people. My wife, on the other hand, comes from a bit of a superstitious family and doesn't want our son's name spelled the same way as Elliot Smith. She says he lived a tragic life and thinks it would be bad luck. She prefers the more common spelling of Elliot with a single T from her native England. Judge Hodgman, please issue a ruling. Elliot with one T or two. Uh, First of all, for a bit of context, uh, Jesse, can you explain for our uh, listeners who may not know who Elliot Smith is, why... Uh, that has some tragic overtones to that name? Uh, Yes. Um, I'm getting dangerously into uh, territory where other white people know a lot more about the subject than I do. Well, that's not me. So that's why why I punted it to you. Okay, good. I mean, in future, if you're going to punt those kind of things to me, could you just focus on Tony, Tony, Tony? Um, Elliot Smith. He is a singer. Here's what I I know. A beloved singer. song. We were so in sync just then. Yes. A beloved singer-songwriter who wrote uh, beautiful, emotional, sometimes heart-rending songs, uh, did not like to, uh, did not enjoy performing live, um, and eventually, I believe, uh, died by his own hand. That is my understanding as well. So that is a very tragic uh, life, and I appreciate that there's a tragic association with that particular spelling of the name, but it is a very common spelling of the name. It is not the... Well, it's hard to say what the original spelling of the name is. The the first printed spelling of the name recognizably as Elliot dates back to the 13th century, and that was E-L-I-O-T, single L, single T, 
which makes sense because extra L's and T's are the things that get added over the course of history. For the most part, it is associated with the clan Elliot of Scotland. It may have derived from the Elliot River, which is E-L-L-I-O-T, or maybe some version of Elijah we don't really know. But all variations of spelling of Elliot uh, are equal in the eyes of our dreadlord Cthulhu. And indeed, uh, the variations are so long-seated that there's an old rhyme that I discovered using the internet uh, that dates back to some time, and I don't know when. But this is how it goes, and it sort of describes the different Elliots. The double L and single T descent from Minto and Wolfley, whoever they are. The double T and single L mark the old race in stobs that dwell. The single L and single T, the Elliots of St. Germans be, but double T and double L, who they are, no one can tell. So the double L and double T is the most mysterious of, the, of them all, and for that reason, uh, I, I kind of like it myself. So here is the solution that I propose, nay, that I rule. Name Elliot, E-double-L-I-O-double-T, but not after Elliot Smith. Name him after Elliot Kalin, the famous podcaster. <laughs> one of the hosts of my rival podcast, Flophouse. And one of the sweetest and most decent people that I know. His goodness and intelligence shall erase the tragic history. And your son can have the name that you want him to have without the association that makes your wife nervous. Here's something from Caitlin. My husband Mark and I are dog owners. During a recent trip to the dog park, there was a disagreement between a couple of owners. One party lost a frisbee to another dog, who tore it up. My husband feels that people should not bring anything of value or anything they want to remain intact to a dog park. I disagree, citing basic respect of personal ownership and society. I believe that it's a dog owner's responsibility to maintain a minimum amount of control over their pet. This includes, but is not limited to, basic wrangling by calling come or by physically removing your dog from dangerous situations. All dog owners should have compassion for each other, but my basic rule will allow dog owners to safely have a fun adventure with their pups at the dog park. Judge Hodgman, what do you say? Well, I am not a dog owner. Do you feel comfortable with the term dog owner, Jesse, or do you prefer something like d human companion to a dog? Judge Hodgman, I'm going to answer your question with a question. And okay. Th and that is this. No. Who? What? Who rescued who? Muh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with dog owner. I love my dogs very much, but they're not people. Who rescued who? Muh. Yeah. Okay. So dog owners. Um, it seems to me, I don't understand where Mark is coming from in this one, because the problem is that one party lost a Frisbee to another dog and that dog tore it up. And the husband feels, he says that people shouldn't bring anything of value. I guess you could construe that a Frisbee has a certain monetary value, but he's basically saying tough luck. To the person who owns the frisbee, who brought the frisbee, is that? Do I read this correctly? Yeah, that it's their own fault for bringing it to a dog park where, uh, you know, sort of, uh, it's sort of like that uh, that movie. <laughs> what's that movie called? Where there's all laws are off. 
the purge. It's sort of like the purge. He sees dog. He sees dog parts. I wish it had been called. I wish it had been called. All laws are off. (laughs) He sees the dog park as the purge, as pure chaos. I'm sure he would feel the same way if uh, he dropped his wallet or a book that he was reading and a dog came over and chewed up his copy of what's the book this guy's reading in the story jesse the areas of my expertise by john hodgman sure yeah i I think that makes sense let me tell you a little story about where i'm coming from mark many years ago i'd venture to say let's say 18 years ago when i was in my 20s and did not, and I was, and I, and I was writing video game reviews for a magazine, and working in book publishing. And I did not. It may surprise you to learn I did not have a lot of money from those endeavors. And we, my then girlfriend and I, were invited to someone's house in the country for the weekend. A writer that I knew and admired, and still do. And. Uh, I had, I had just purchased a pair of prescription sunglasses, which I had never owned in my life. I had never owned prescription sunglasses in my life, and I had never spent so much money on a pair of glasses in my life. I don't know what I was thinking buying these things. I couldn't afford it. And these sunglasses were not merely sunglasses, but they were, but they were polarized super lenses that made the whole world look like... A cross between night vision and Game of Thronesland. I mean, everything looked incredible. I would just walk around staring at things through these sunglasses because everything came into such sharp relief into this weird sepia tone. It was an amazing thing. And I remember the weekend before I had driven up into the country to go to some writer's conference or something, and I was driving along the Taconic State Parkway very sunny spring day, wearing these sunglasses, and I turned all I had. I didn't have any music in. I just turned on the AM station. It was playing some incredibly hypnotic Indian sitar music, and I just stared out at the countryside of the Hudson River Valley, and I and I I I went into a trance of delight that I've been trying to recapture ever since. We get to our friend's house in the country, and guess what? She's got a new dog, cute little rescued dog. Guess what I do that night? Leave my glasses somewhere where a dog can get them. Guess what happened? Dog gets them. Choose them to pieces. Like there's some kind of gosh darn frisbee or something. The next morning, my friend who owns this dog says, my dog chewed up your sunglasses. And I said, uh-huh. And she said, I'm really sorry. And I said, that's okay. But do you know what, Jesse? It was not okay. And it never was okay. Not even 18 years later, okay. If your dog chews up someone's sunglasses, you offer to pay for the sunglasses. And if they say, no, that's okay, you insist. You shove money in their hands. Because <laughs> this animal, this animal that is in your charge, Ruined something of value that belongs to someone else. And that is why I say to you, former guest bailiff Elizabeth Gilbert, I need $200. (laughs) 
<laughs> Judge Hodgman, I don't mean to put too fine of a point on this. Yeah. But uh, former guest host Elizabeth Gilbert gave a thoughtful and generous contribution in the Max Fun Drive. So maybe we can call it even. Stupid. Not good enough. <laughs> It was a big debate between my wife and I for a long time because she didn't, I mean, and bear in mind, today, I have no doubt that Elizabeth Gilbert would have said, go, oh my, I'm so sorry. Let me get those for you. Let me pay for them. Let me replace them. Let me, what can I do? You know, but I think we were both younger at that time. And even though she was in a little bit different place in her career than I was, I think even then she, we just didn't know. We just didn't know that that was the right thing to do. And, 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 and maybe she was worried that it was, they were going to be really expensive. And anyway, now we know better and take the benefit of my wisdom, Mark. Pay for that man's Frisbee that your dog chewed up. I know what happened. Do it. It's $7 or whatever. Be a, be a good person. Judge Hodgman, was this whole question just an elaborate, secret buzz marketing ploy? to plug the upcoming second season of Elizabeth Gilbert's new Max Fun podcast, Magic Lessons? It was not, but I am thrilled to be a part of such a secret agenda. I did not know. Look for it this summer. That will be great. I love Elizabeth Gilbert, and I look forward to my $200. <laughs> Here's something from John. I'd like to have my significant other, Katie, refrain from using the phrases these ones and those ones, or if not refrain, put a dollar in a jar someplace whenever this is used. I've searched many grammar web pages. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. I've searched many grammar web pages, but they all come back with inconclusive results as to whether this is acceptable in English speech. John, Katie says, look at these ones here, and it makes my internal copy editor cringe. Please help us with this issue. Oh. Is the issue that he has an internal copy editor? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm afraid you have a copy editor lodged in your, some part of your body. It sounds like, it sounds like a copy editor endectomy is the only option. Yeah, and it has a cringing problem. Much like I have a cramping problem, you have a cringing problem. Uh, I also, uh, curiously, I searched not many grammar web pages, but three a few minutes ago to verify that indeed there's a, there's a lot of dispute, uh, as to whether one, one usage is more correct than the other. That is to say, look at these ones or look at these ones is obviously a word you say, uh, his loved ones all the time. There's no problem with ones. So there is really no grammatical error with these ones, but I think that to some people's ears, it sounds uh, perhaps less educated or a little bit more um, redundant because you could simply say, look at these. So if you really wanted to strunk and white it, you probably, E.B. White probably would have said, just look at these. But when I picture Katie saying, look at these ones here, you know what I think? I hear, I think I hear someone with a, with a, a charming regional inflection and um, someone that you are pledged to love. And I, since this court stands against pedantry, I'm going to say, Katie, I think you should break up with this dude. Yeah. And remember, John and Katie, 
This is coming from a man who earlier in this very podcast corrected my quotation of a popular bumper sticker on grammatical grounds. Wait a minute. Did, was, is that a popular bumper sticker? Who rescued yeah, who, whom? Who rescued who, yes. But it says who rescued who? Yeah, I don't think it says who rescued whom. This isn't some fancy Ivy League bumper sticker. I live in the constant torment of my beloved bailiff, constantly saying, me and Jordan did this and that. <laughs> Look, I have other friends, Judge Hodgman. I no, have that's not... other friends. How you are? I've missed the point, sir. You have missed the point. English is a living language and bumper stickers. <laughs> bumper stickers are also a living language. And I think that uh, it's it's important in life to choose your battles. And this is not one, I think. These are the ones that don't matter. <laughs> Okay, we'll have more Judge John Hodgman when we come back in just a second. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, Boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made. Step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, you can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. 
See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Judge Hodgman, you won't believe what me and Jordan were doing during the break. Oh. Okay, here's a case from Brian. I can't wait. My fiancé, Justin, and I have an ongoing argument related to the source of my media choices. I listen to a number of pop culture-related podcasts, which frequently offer TV and movie recommendations. One, I can only presume that Brian is leaving out the specific names Bullseye with Jesse Thorne and MaximumFun.org's own Pop Rocket uh, because he's worried that he'll be judged for buzz marketing. But I have no such shame. Good for you. I've come to trust these podcasters and find their tastes often align with my own. You know what? I'm going to throw in NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. That's a great show, too. That's true, and they're friends of this podcast, I'm glad to say. Justin says I'm acting like a lemming and thinks I need to develop my own tastes. He's also accused me of dismissing his recommendations until a podcaster seconds them. I think one of the main purposes of these podcasts is to steer you toward things you will enjoy. I also see nothing wrong with becoming more interested after having something recommended by a trusted source besides my partner. Now, I find myself lying about how I've heard about a piece of culture or pretending not to know about it at all when he brings it up. Judge, is a podcast an appropriate place to get recommendations? And should Justin be able to dismiss my idea when I say I heard it recommended on a podcast? Well, first of all, let me just say that I'm presuming that Brian and Justin are both men. I'm very uh, excited and pleased um, that not only are they getting married, but we live in uh, a society which increasingly uh, that is not a big deal and is legal. Uh, But when you are referring, Brian, to your fiance, Justin, who is a man, 
Uh, you spell fiancé, F-I-A-N-C-E, full stop. You put two E's on it, and um, that's wrong. And my inner copy editor really cringed, and I didn't listen to the rest of your question. Now, <laughs> I highly recommend, speaking of the pop culture happy hour, a book that has crossed my desk uh, by Glenn Weldon, one of the co-hosts, called The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture. It is exactly as it sounds, a, quote, riveting and entertaining history that chronicles the rises and falls of one of the world's most beloved superheroes. It's a cultural history of Batman as a character, as a phenomenon, and uh, and it's just, uh, it's a, I, I've just started it, and it's a really terrific read. And and Brian, I recommend that you read it, and I, I recommend that you don't listen to Justin, who is a snob. He's a snob. Not, you know, the definition as we have discussed before, of a hipster, more or less, is someone who uh, has enthusiasms like a nerd, but uses those enthusiasms to gain, uh, to cudgel others with their taste and to gain status because you like the wrong thing or you don't know what the right thing is uh, or you learned about something the wrong way because you found about it once it became popular or whatever. Whereas a nerd is someone who also has enthusiasms, but just wants to share the enthusiasms. And unfortunately, while I look forward to, as I trust you do, your many, many years of happy married bliss, Justin, in this case, has got to check himself because learning about culture, wherever you can get it, is a gift to you. And if you find something you really love, it does not matter from, oh, I almost said from whence. You heard it. But I think the proper way to say that, I'm not sure, is it doesn't matter whence you heard it. Because I think whence means the from is implied. Hence, <laughs> Brian's right, Justin's wrong. Go buy a book. Hey, you should listen to Glenn Weldon on the hit public radio program Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. That's my oh, recommendation. <laughs> That's your recommendation? Yeah. Glenn Weldon, he's the best. That book is great. I've read the I read that whole Batman book, and despite not necessarily being a you know world champion Batman guy as Glenn is, I really enjoyed it. I was thrilled when he when he got the world champion Batman guy trophy. Yeah, he did. I know award shows tend to be meaningless popularity contests, but sometimes they get it right. And world championship Batman guy finally got it right this year. Okay, here's uh, here's sort of a uh, broader issue. So we had a bunch of people write in about our recent adjudication of a case about Magic the Gathering. This was in episode 249. So in that dispute, if you don't remember, there was a man who played Magic the Gathering with a good friend of his. And the defendant insisted on buying singles. The plaintiff was playing using a more random selection of cards. And, and basically, uh, the beef there was that the, the gameplay was imbalanced uh, because one of the players had chosen to uh, uh, bring his focused money to bear upon yeah. the singles. One guy, was one, one guy was going out there and spending his money on all the good, powerful cards. And the other guy was playing the game, you know old school. Just you get what you get and you don't get upset. Yeah. The judge ruled that the plaintiff should start a Patreon and attempt to blow his friend out of the water by constructing the very best deck available with other people's money, which he did do. He did start that Patreon. Did, oh, it, 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 I didn't see that. Did it get funded? Is it too late? Can I? Yeah, I think you can contribute something. 
all right, as soon as Liz Gilbert gives me 200 bucks, I'm going to just pass it along and pay it forward. Um, we actually had some suggestions from other Magic the Gathering players and their loved ones. So I'm going to I'm going to run through a few of those, by the way. Yeah, we uh, got a lot of letters on this one and I it, they I didn't understand a lot of them, but I was grateful that people came in and, and added their own wisdom. Regular listeners to Maximum Fun Podcasts will know uh, that I played Magic the Gathering in middle school, but have not done so since. And the only thing I remember really is that there was a really important call- card called Sarah Angel. So yeah. I always refer to Sarah Angel to demonstrate that I'm on the Magic the Gathering people's team, uh, but I don't have any other references to go to. So it's always Sarah Angel. Mm-hmm. A listener of this show and Jordan Jesse Go, who had noticed it on both shows, uh, was kind enough during the Max Fun Drive time. Uh, to send me a bunch of Sarah Angel cards uh, to collect my autograph on, which he then uh, which he then used to raise money for Max Fun. Oh, let's be clear, no one wants that, so it, I don't think it was a successful effort. <laughs> but it was it was appreciated certainly. It's a, a very you know what it was very uh, smart thinking. Okay, so uh, here's something from Hannah. Hannah's fiance is a magic enthusiast uh, who has played competitively. Um, and she said that she would rather watch the Gilmore Girls for the 50th time than play magic. But she did have a good suggestion. She said that the friends, by the way, there's no need to watch the Gilmore Girls for the 50th time. You can watch uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. That's new. It's great. Is that your pop culture recommendation? That's my pop culture recommendation. If you're looking great. for the same satisfactions that you get from that show, uh, go to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's uh, Now I can't watch it because I heard about it from a podcast. Charming, medium stakes, and very funny. Um, I will check it out. Okay, so she says this. Uh, uh, she says that the friends should mutually agree on a gameplay format, and she named two. Uh, one is constructed, in which players make their decks ahead of time with whatever cards they can get their hand on, uh, which is the problem that the plaintiff is complaining about. The other is drafting, where they each open a pack of cards and take turns picking cards from those packs until each has built a suitable deck for play, at which point the two play with these new decks that did not exist prior to the game at hand. Hmm. I like, well, that, I, I like that second one because it reminds me of fantasy sports. And it's fantasy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, lit, it's literally fantasy. <laughs> Is that sort of literally? Yeah, what maybe. If, what if fantasy sports just meant like your fantasy football team was mostly regular players, but then a couple minotaurs? <laughs> I would suddenly become the biggest sports fan. <laughs> Well, Hannah, thank you for those suggestions. Those are both great, and we don't have—we didn't get any more, correct? Uh, no, uh, it did not stop there, according to this piece of paper in front of me. We also heard from Mark. Mark suggested a different method. He says, I've used this one in friendly non-tournament play. It helps even the playing field. Everyone brings their favorite decks, and each player randomly selects one of the decks that was brought. Essentially, each player has an equal chance of using an overpowered deck during a given match. Sure. And that's all there is. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> Gabe suggested three different methods, including the peasant and backdraft formats. And you Please can, don't describe them. I shan't. Uh, you can okay. find them all on our website at MaximumFun.org. Is that all the different ways to play 
That's all the different Magic ways. Magic the Gathering. That's all with the your different friend. ways to play Magic the Gathering with your friends. There are no more ways. If you disagree, please tweet at Hodgman on oh. Twitter. Twitter.com slash Hodgman. Or write me, I guess I've asked for it. Hodgman at maximum fun. Org. We did get other letters this week, did we not? We did, but I want to suggest an alternative activity for these guys that I think they might enjoy. Oh, Minotaur uh, football? Yeah, Minotaur football. Um, uh, have you? Uh, there's a band called Mount Erie, which is in fact a man named Phil Elverham. Uh, and Phil Elverham is a, a lovely guy, sort of indie rock luminary who lives up in... He lives in some weird, one of those weird islands off the coast of Oregon or or uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. Very nice dude. And uh, he came on Jordan Jesse Go once a couple of years ago. And he described this game that he and his bandmates and crewmates uh, play when they are on tour together. And he's very much, he's, the, he's a very deeply DIY guy. So his tours are very DIY. They play this game called Wadlord. <laughs> And here's how you play Wadlord. One player is designated the Wadlord. And the Wadlord puts some of his own money into uh, a handful of money. Uh, Then each of the other players put their money into the handful of money. Mm -hmm. The Wadlord turns and... He uh, and he shows the uh, uh, he shows everybody the outside of the wad of money, and then everyone has to guess how much money is inside the wad. Whoever guesses how much money is inside the wad uh, uh, wins the full amount of money in the wad. Well, is it like Price's Right rules, closest without going over, or you have to guess the exact amount? I don't know. Ask Phil Elverum. Well, and I'm right sure now, there are many different remember... ways to play. Right now, I don't remember why the Wadlord doesn't have himself an unfair advantage. But the key strategy in the game, the key strategy here mm-hmm. is that the more money you put in, this is what I like about it relative to this magic situation. The more money you put in, the more control you have over the amount of money that's in the wad. So, like, if you put in $300. You're the only one who knows that there's more than $300 in there because that $300 is probably buried in this wad. Right. But, 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 but you're also risking $300 if you put in $300. This is a insidious game. Somebody on Reddit is going to clarify the rules of Wildlord, by the way. <laughs> Maximumfun.reddit.com so you can remind me how f- somebody is going to go listen back to the episode of Jordan Jesse Go called Wildlord with Phil Elverum from four years ago or whatever it was and remind me that, cause it is the most, it's the most magical. That's interesting. It's the most magical waste of time and money that anyone has ever created other than Magic the Gathering. <laughs> is there a way to capitalize on Wadlord? I'm not saying we take this idea from your friend, but this is insidious. Is there a way to make this game into a game that you can then sell to other people? Oh, I assumed that what you meant by capitalize on it was like take it to the streets, three card Monty style. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm 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 purely a three card Monty guy. I'm not going to mix up my games out there on the streets. Well, you know what I think we need to do? No, we we make a boxed version. We start it out in Scandinavia, and then we can see if we can license it to the American market. Jesse, that's why they call you the Wad Lord. <laughs> I love it.
<laughs> yeah, stick that in your pipe. Put and some div- it divorced rabbit over. royalty in there, and we got a we got ourselves a game. We have one last email from Tim. Yeah, he wrote us to say. While I do regularly enjoy your program, I got an unexpected belly laugh from this week's case when I accidentally hit the half speed button on my preferred podcast application. At half speed, all the participants sound extremely intoxicated, which puts a whole different spin on fake internet court litigation. Highly recommended. Thanks, Tim, for writing! I'm glad that someone finally discovered uh, our alternate podcast, uh, Judge John Hodgman, Chopped and Screwed. <laughs> Uh, drunk justice. <laughs> if you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. If you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, Judge Hodgman is at Hodgman. I am at Jesse Thorne. You can also find us on Reddit at MaximumFun.reddit.com, where someone is posting the full remembered rules of Wadlord right this very moment. Uh, you can find our show online at MaximumFun.org. And please uh, send in a review of Judge John Hodgman. It makes a big difference in our iTunes rankings. And if you like Judge John Hodgman, why not tell someone you know about how much you like it? How about that? And before you go, stay tuned. Just don't do it on a podcast. <laughs> before you go, set your listening speed to half speed to hear this important secret message for you. Hi, it's me, John Hodgman. I'm going to be performing at Largo and Coronet in Los Angeles on June 9th, my one-man show, Vacation Land. Tickets are available online. Go to johnhodgman.com slash tour. Our producer is Julia Smith. Our editor is Mark McConville. And ho, hey, by the way. Let's Max go. Fun Con- Max, hey. Fun- Max Fun Con East tickets are on sale right now on maxfuncon.com. So if you live on the East Coast and you want to come out, hang out with me and lots of other Max Fun talent and brilliant and amazing people and really nice people, go to maxfuncon.com to buy tickets for Max Fun Con East. Okay, bye. Church 200 rules, that is all! Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.